are uh, right now uh, recruiting new small group leaders, connect group leaders, and uh, we love being able to gather in large groups like this, but we know that there's power that comes when we circle up together and look at people eye to eye, face to face. Uh, We love a growing church. We think it's good. We want to grow larger, but we also want to grow smaller at the same time, and uh, we don't believe that church is a place where you have to know everybody, but we believe it's important that everybody knows somebody. And uh, small groups are a great way to do that. And so if you've been part of our church for a little while and, man, you'd like to take this next step, we'd love to walk with you, train you, help you take this next step. Later this month, we are going to be opening up registration for you to join a small group. And we'll be talking more about that as we uh, near the end of this month and start kickoff in September when all the groups launch. Two of the groups that we have that I'm so, so uh, thankful that we have is uh, we have a middle school connect group uh, that's led by Clay and Rita. Clay and Rita, are you guys in the room? Uh, Rita's there. I don't know where Clay's at. Would you stand up, Rita, so everybody can see your wonderful faces? Rita, come on, say hello. And we have a high school connect group led by Jared and Jessica Thorpe. Jared and Jessica, where are you guys at? Would you stand? Stand up. There they are. Whoop, whoop. Uh, Today, uh, for those of you in middle school and high school, as you get ready to exit, um, excuse me, as we dismiss today, uh, we have a backpack for every middle school and high schooler that's here in the room. Uh, For those uh, in elementary, we're giving those out in the elementary room. Uh, But uh, middle school, high schoolers, as you exit today, Jared and Jessica and Clay Rita both will be back there to give you your backpack. Make sure you say hello, introduce yourself to them. We'd love for you to be a part of those connect groups. Make sure, uh, parents, that they're a part of it. I think it's so vitally important. They've got some information about when those groups are meeting uh, so that you can be a part of it. When I started in ministry uh, for the first 13 years of my full-time ministry, my wife and I, we had the privilege of being hands-on and leading kids and nursery ministries as well as youth ministries. And most of our tenure, those two things were happening simultaneously. We would oversee everything birth through high school as well as other responsibilities that I would have there at the church. Um, but we have just a deep, deep, passion for the next generation, for those coming up, those that are younger, those that are uh, not yet out of high school, those in elementary, and those yet to even start elementary school. We believe that they are not the church of tomorrow, but they are the church of today. Uh, And as I started in ministry, I would look around, and all of the models and the ways people were doing kids' ministry, all the ways people were doing youth ministry, it was just a little bit quirky. They were a little bit weird. It was all about games and programming and kids ministry is all about puppets and clowns and I'm not really clowny and I don't really like putting my hands in socks. I just wasn't me. And everywhere I looked, people, if you were going to work in kids ministry or you're going to work in youth ministry, you just had to be a little bit different, a little bit weird. And uh, I just decided I wasn't going to be that or do that. And I have found that over the years, the most effective way to reach kids, the most effective way to reach teenagers wasn't through creative programming. The most effective thing that took place in a child or in a teenager's life was when they had consistent, caring adults that created space for them to be them. Whenever we could get kids and youth and teens in circles, 
with adults who love them and love Jesus, we found that they grew exponentially in their relationship and in their faith. That's why here at Faith Church, our highest priority as it relates to kids and teens is to get them in circles where caring adults can create an opportunity for them to have conversation about life and faith, where they can know somebody personally and see them face to face. And we take it a step further for those in middle school and high school. We not only want them to, to gather in circles and in small groups, but we want to be a church that is full of teenagers who are for the kingdom of God and who don't show up to church looking for something for themselves. In other words, we really believe in being committed contributors, not casual consumers. And so we invite middle school, high school to recognize and realize this is your church. You are a part of the body. You're not a secondary part of the body. You're not less valuable than an adult. No, no, no. Young people, I want you to know this is your church. We value you, and we're glad you're a part of the family of God. And, and I love it. We have some teenagers who every single week they show up, and they're serving. They're serving in kids' ministry, leading a small group. The, the, we, have, we have some teenagers that were running sound and running the PowerPoints, running cameras. Young people, I want you to know this is a place where you can learn, discover, and use your gifts for God. And so for every young person that's in this room, I want you to know that we are for you, we are with you. This is your church, your body, your worship service, just as much as it is any other adults. And if we ever create a service that where kids or teenagers don't feel like it's for them, we're doing it wrong. We're doing it wrong. And so young people, I want you to realize and I want you to understand, I want to see you reach your full potential in who Jesus has called you to be. I don't believe you need to sit on the sidelines. I believe you need to be in the game, being a part, contributing. We need your passion. We need your vision. We need your creativity. We need your commitment. You make us better as a body. And that's our approach. We love seeing people get in these small groups, in these circles, because if we can create caring relationships, I believe it has a residual impact in the life of a young person. We're committed to those things. I want you to understand something, parents. For those of you maybe here for the first time or wondering about our, our kids' ministry, from birth all the way through fifth grade, we are not offering babysitting services. Sunday morning is our opportunity to inspire their imagination and activate their faith. We want to come alongside you and partner with you. We want to create spaces that are creative, that are fun, that are engaging, that are 100% safe and secure and clean all the way through. And we have trained volunteers to love on the youngest of your youngest to the, all the way up through fifth grade. And we are going to do everything that we possibly can to tell the story of God in a creative way that inspires their imagination and then activates their faith. Why is that so important? Because your imagination is the key to your hope. If you don't have hope, if you don't have a picture or the ability to dream and hear what God is saying, if you can't imagine the stories of God really being alive, then your faith won't come alive. Hebrews tells us that faith is the substance of things hoped for. Faith is is only activated where there is a clear picture in someone's mind that is full of hope. That's why when you don't have hope, 
You can't see the future clearly. You can't see. Everything looks bleak. Everything looks dim where you don't feel like you're going to have a good school year. You are imagining a bad school year. Therefore, you have no hope for a good school year. But if you want a good school year, change your hope. Change the picture that you see. Shift it around. Some of you don't feel like you're ever going to have the finances that you need to live life in a comfortable way. That's because your hope has been deteriorated. You need to get a new picture. You need to get a new picture about what God has to say about your life. So when that picture comes clear, HD quality, 3D dimension, 4K, ultra HD version of the picture of hope that God has for your life, then your faith can be activated. But it always starts with a picture that we see. Always starts with a picture that we see. I, I believe that we always learn from what it is that we, that we, that we see. We, we, we grow better when we see it clearly. I, I, uh, I love Ikea. I also hate Ikea furniture. I mean, I love it, and I hate it. Uh, why do I love it? I love it because it's creative, it's fun. I love walking through the store. I just, ideas, some of you are like, that is chaos and of the devil. I don't ever want to go in one of those stores Ever again, if you've never been to IKEA, you've got to do yourself a favor and travel up to Kansas City and go to IKEA. It's fun. They have really cheap food, but delicious food nonetheless. It's fun. You should do it. Uh, but it's crazy. The furniture store is all over the place. And, and, and I love being able to go. It's all, I feel so creative when I'm in that space. It's wonderful. I can dream. I can see cool things. But then when you buy something, it comes shipped or you buy it and it's all these boxes and packages and you open it up and the instructions are there, but there are no words, only pictures. I'm not really handy anyways. Right, like, hammer, what's that? Right, like, it's just, I'm not really good with those, those things. Now I've got to put together a piece of furniture from a company in Sweden, and they're not nice enough to even put words, only hieroglyphics. And I've got to follow the pictures. Can you imagine what life would be like if all you had was a bag of nuts and bolts but no pictures to tell you how to assemble it? I, I wonder if some of us are living a life without a clear picture, without a clear hope, without clear set of how to navigate point by point so that we can't find the result that we want, hope for, or think about because all we've got are pieces but no picture. I wonder if our approach to parenting is do as I say, not as I do. Because if you're not doing, then there is no picture for your children to see. There's no picture for them. We learn best when we have something to look to and look at and a picture that is clear for us to emulate and embody and walk after. I think that we need those kinds of those kinds of pictures. It was James Baldwin who once said that kids are not always good at listening to their elders, but they never fail to imitate them. They never fail to, to imitate them. I, I wonder if the problems in our country that we see today that maybe frustrate us, I wonder if if the reason that those things are the way that they are in society that frustrates us is the way that it is, not because we didn't have enough instructions, but because we didn't have enough pictures of people living out the truth that those instructions were ever given. 
See, I wonder if we've tried to teach our kids things and we tried to teach a generation the truth, tried to teach them some things, but the picture that they saw at home didn't line up with the teachings that they saw on Sunday, and so they had an unclear picture. And they're trying to figure it out on their own, and they're frustrated, and we're frustrated. And we tell our kids, read the Bible, but yet we don't show them how to read the, the Bible. They don't ever see us read the Bible. They just see us show up to church, sometimes on time. Just kidding. I have no idea who shows up on time. I'm facing the stage. We, we, we tell them to do certain things that our followers of Christ would do, but yet they, 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 they never see us do those same, those same things. We, we tell them to be good students, but yet we're not good employees. We tell them to do certain things, but we don't do those same things in our own lives. We, we, we don't have a picture that lines up with the things that we're teaching. We say more than what we do, and I wonder if maybe just maybe God intended us to do more than what we ever were to say. Or, or I wonder what it would look like if we did something so clear they didn't need more instruction. They just did and repeated what it was that they, they saw. See, I think this was God's design from the beginning. Two institutions God ever created. He created the family and he created the church. Those are the only two institutions that God created. He was a part of, he initiated those two, those two institutions the family, and the church. The church were the hands and the feet of what it looked like to be the bride of Jesus Christ. The family was designed to be picturesque of the covenant love and commitment that God has for all of humanity. I believe the family is the pattern and the picture that the world needs to see of what it looks like to serve God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Maybe you've heard it said that God hates divorce. And maybe you grew up in an environment where if you had a divorce, if you walked through a broken family, you walked through a broken marriage, then all of a sudden you had this scarlet letter on your life and it was like the impardonable sin. God could forgive you for anything, but don't you dare get divorced. That was your experience. I'm really sorry. I'm really sorry. I don't believe that's true of what God's word teaches. Does God like divorce? Nope. You want to know why he doesn't like divorce? Because marriage was intended to be the picture of his unending, never stopping, always sacrificing, always giving love for humanity. And when divorce occurs, there's a brokenness of that picture. It gets fractured a little bit. But nothing, hear me, nothing is beyond the redemptive work of the cross. There is no picture that could be shattered that God can't put back together in some way. That doesn't mean that every marriage needs to be restored. There are some marriages that don't need to be restored at all. You need to be healed. You need to move on and find restoration in God and find another opportunity that God has for you. I believe with that with all my heart. God is not holding you to some old coat. All I'm trying to say is that, yes, it matters to God, but it only matters to God not because the people do wrong and he's mad at the people. It's just because he wanted a picture for people to see. And so he sends his son Jesus to redeem that picture. And gives us second and third and fourth and fifth and sixth and seventh and eighth chances. And his grace is unending and his mercy knows no limits. And where there is mercy and as long as there's breath in your lungs, there's an opportunity for God to redeem and restore and heal and put back a new picture. He's fully capable of restoring and doing those things. But I believe the family was intended by God to be the picture to represent and to be a pattern 
for the rest of the world to learn how to relate to their heavenly father. It was a pattern. All through scripture you see patterns because patterns show us the way to do something. Patterns show us the picture of what something could be, what something should be, what what something is capable. Like pictures and patterns are important for us because we learn best in those ways. When we have something clear that we're pursuing, that we're seeing, that we're going after, we need those clear pictures and those clear patterns. But what happens if those patterns aren't around? What happens if those patterns aren't existence? Well, here's what happens. The same thing that happened to the children of Israel in in Judges chapter 2. If you have a copy of Scripture, I want to look at a few verses this morning in in Judges chapter 2. See, when we come to the story of of God's people here in Judges chapter 2, they had already been freed from Egypt as slaves. Moses let them out, taking us to the promised land, the promised land. Those are for all my VeggieTale friends. And uh, they moved on out to the to promised land. They'd wandered in the wilderness for 40, 40 years. It should have only taken them 40 days, but they're human and they don't like to listen. And they've got their own agendas and ideas. And so it took them 40 years. They finally got there. Moses ends up dying. Joshua takes over. Joshua says, all right, it's time to finally do this bad boy. Let's go into the land that God has promised us. They go in. They conquer the land. They kick tail and take names. It's amazing. God is blessing. It's wonderful. They're all getting their allotment, and you get this piece of land, and you get this part of the country, and this tribe and family, you guys get this side, and we're going to take this side, and everything has been divvied out and awesome. Until you get to Judges chapter 2, verse 10. And after that whole generation, all of Joshua and all of his leaders and all of the people who conquested and walked through the wilderness and saw God do good things, and all of those, that whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors. That's a really poetic, biblical way of saying they did. After that entire generation was dead, another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Then the Israelites, they did evil in the eyes of the Lord and they started serving the Baals. They forsook the Lord, the God of their ancestors who had brought them out of Egypt. They followed and they worshiped various gods of the people around them. Why did they worship the gods of the people around them? Because there was no other picture or pattern to follow. Because the generation before didn't give them a clear picture, didn't give them a clear pattern of what it looked like to serve, to follow, and worship the Lord our God. And because there was no picture and no pattern to follow, they started worshiping and learning from any and everything around them. And they began to worship these false gods of war, these false gods of sexuality, these false gods that that redefined everything for their lifestyle. And there was an entire generation that grew up because, and they did the wrong, and the Lord got upset. He was like, come on, what are you doing? Come back to me. And the whole thing could have been avoided if one generation before that decided to honor God and live out the right picture. Because we always follow the pattern that's set before us. I believe that adults are positioned in society to be the pattern that youth 
And when I say youth, I mean kids and teenagers. Adults are positioned to be the pattern that youth follow after, that youth emulate. That's God's design. That's how this thing works. We're called to be the pattern that they see and they fall after. I think that's why we've got to be a pattern of passion. We've got to be the pattern of, of what it looks like to have godly priorities in our life. Because that's the pattern we want to set for those that are following after us. I, I think we need to recognize that we need to have a pattern of hope that holds to God's word and the truths of what he says. And, and no matter what, come hell or high water, we're going to still pursue our God. I, I think that, that we need to be, the, we need to be the, the pattern. I think our lives need to look like it. I think as adults, whether you have kids in your home or kids that live next door, I think we need to be people who show off the praises of what it looks like to follow God, who show others around them what it looks like to follow God with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, all of our strength, all of our time, talents, and energy. We need to emulate those things. Why? Because if we're gonna be a good neighbor to the generations to come, that means that we have to be the right pattern and set a picture of what it looks like to neighbor correctly. In this series, Won't You Be My Neighbor, that's what we're talking about. This whole idea of who is our neighbor and how do we neighbor? Today, the answer to the question, who is our neighbor, the answer is the generations. The generations before, the generations currently, and the generations to come after, they're our neighbor. And specifically, the generations yet to come, they're our neighbor. How do we neighbor? We live as a pattern of what it looks like to be full court followers of Jesus, to be fully devoted, heart, soul, mind, and strength to the King of kings, to the Lord of lords, to the God of all creation. We are, ha- are supposed to have our lives living in that way. I love how 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, uh, verse 7 and, and 8 in the message paraphrase says, it. Listen, listen to these words. Word has gotten around. It's spreading. Your lives are echoing the master's word. Your lives are echoing the master's word, not only in the provinces, but but all over the place. The news of your faith in God, it's out. We don't even have to say anything anymore because you're the message. You know what was so fun? Was when when it was finally announced that as a church, we were able to pay for and supply every school supply necessary for uh, Winfield Scott Elementary School, that as a church, we were able to pay for every school supply that every student in that entire school was going to need. Word started to get out, and that was awesome. But I tell you why it was awesome. It wasn't awesome because they were like, oh, we love that church. You know what was awesome? Is that the world around us saw a picture of what it looked like to get behind somebody and say, we are for you and we believe in you. That's what was awesome about it. Not that it made us look good as a church. I don't really care. In fact, we weren't even gonna publicize it, but we were asked if we could publicize it. And I said, go for it. It doesn't bother. We didn't do it for fame or credit. We did it because we wanted to invest in a generation because we are for the generations around here. And word starts to get out about that sort of thing. 
And it begins to send echoes into the culture and the community of what it looks like to be a full court follower of Jesus who really does want to live surrendered to the goodness of God in our lives and definitely poured out from our lives. Your lives are the message. What, what would it look like if your kids knew how to handle stress in school just by the way they watched how you handled the stress in your life? Not, not going to the bottle, not overeating, not avoiding, not, distan- not distancing yourself from the family, not getting angry or frustrated or letting words fly. What if they saw that when the pressure got turned up in your life, you hit your knees and you started crying out to the Lord our God? What if they saw in your life what it looked like to love one another? Husbands, what if they saw a picture of what it looked like to tenderly love a wife in such a way that all the young ladies grew up knowing there's a high standard and, and that guy doesn't look like it? What if... You didn't have to give long lectures because your lives were the echoing of the picture, what it looked like to be fully surrendered. What if? I believe we're called to do that. Young people, what what if the friends that sit with you in class saw what it looked like to be a good student, not needing to cheat, but took notes and paid attention and gave it your all? What if they saw that and learned how to do that because your life was the message just echoing an honor and a love for God. What if they saw that in you? What if we recognize that our lives are meant to be this picture? You might be sitting there, Pastor. I, I think it's great. I, amen. You don't understand my story. You don't understand. My, my parents were abusive. You don't understand. My, my parents were hard. I never heard my dad say, I love you. You don't understand. I I don't even know what it's like to have a dad. Pastor, you don't understand. The picture is too broken. There are too many pieces to my story that don't make sense. I couldn't possibly. I don't even have a good picture. How am I supposed to become a good picture for somebody else? Friends, I, I think that God knew that we'd have a hard time seeing what it looked like to be loving parents. And that's why God himself decided to reveal himself to all of humanity and introduce himself as a loving, good, heavenly father. As a parent who's warm and caring and rich in mercy. And and that's why he knew we might have a hard time as to what that looked like. So he decided to take it a step further and send us Jesus. So that when we looked at Jesus, we knew without a shadow of a doubt what our heavenly father looked like. In, in, in John chapter 14, Jesus makes this statement and he says, if you can see me, if you can see clearly what I look like, what I act like, how I talk, if you see me, you've seen the father. If you look at my life, I'm a picture and a pattern of everything that God is, your heavenly father. That's what I look like. And so he sends us Jesus to clarify the picture that we felt like we never had and to redeem the brokenness that you may have. But he takes it a step further. He not only does that. You know what I love about God? He not only sends us Jesus to be the picture, but he does something amazing. He sets us, according to Psalm 68, he sets the lonely and the broken and the disenfranchised, he sets the lonely in family, known as the family of God. 
You might be here today in this room full of brokenness, having no picture, feeling like your picture's been distorted, your past is too checkered. It's all broken up, and it may be true. It's absolutely true that you've probably walked through broken things, but can I tell you, you are here today to be loved and welcomed and to know that you belong in a family like this. The reason we have people who who are smiling and greeting and helping you find seats and, and getting to know your name and taking care of your kids upstairs and loving on them and being creative with them and giving you an hour just to sit and breathe and be in God's presence is because we want you to know you belong here, that you're not alone, that we are for you. You might be a solo parent, but you're not a solo follower of Jesus. We are the body of Christ. We are here to support you. We are here to love for you. We are here to help provide a backpack for your kids to help you know that you're not alone because he loves to take those who feel alone and put them in a family again. You belong in the family of God. This church is going to be a church that's going to love and support you. That's going to come alongside you. And we together as the body of Christ, we will be. As for me and my house at Faith Church, 2203 Deer Road, we will not only serve the Lord, but we're going to neighbor in a way that is with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We're going to love you. We're going to support you. And we will be a community of faith that decides to be the picture and the pattern of what it looks like to give God your everything and to experience his goodness. This will always be a house like that. This will always be a house where you can come and participate, even if you don't believe everything, know everything, like people in skinny jeans. I don't care. (laughs) You belong in the family of God. Young people, teenagers, middle schoolers, I want you to know this is your house. You belong here. You belong here. Not just to sit back and spectate and feel like, well, that's not really my thing. You make us better. There's a spot for you to serve. There's a small group for you to connect in. There's a space for you to belong. And we're behind you 100%. They say, statistics are are, are proving that young people, young adults, those post-high school are leaving the church. That's what they say. But of those young people who stay in a local church, who stay attending, stay engaged, stay apart, 59% of those who stay do so because of the involvement in a relationship with an older adult within that church. Translation, young people will continue to follow God when old people show them what the right pattern is of how to follow God and take an interest in their life one-on-one. In other words, if you're sitting next to a young person and you're annoyed that they're sitting in the same row as you and you don't like their hair or how they dress, you're part of the problem. Stop it. Decide to be a part of the solution and recognize that how you worship, how you serve, how you give, how you are taking notes or not taking notes is setting a pattern for what it looks like to follow Jesus to the people that are around you today. How you talk to your boss, how you talk about your boss, how you talk to your spouse, how you talk about your spouse, how you talk to your children, how you talk about your children. It's a pattern. It's a pattern.
how you talk about your friends, how you let your friends talk about you, how you let your friends talk about their friends. It's a pattern. It's a pattern. It's a pattern. It's a picture. You might be sitting there, Pastor. I get it. It's cool. But I still feel like I've, I've botched this thing up. My kids, I don't have a good relationship with them. They're too old. I, I don't know if I could, if I could do it. You, you might feel like you are just a bunch of puzzle pieces stuffed in a bag. And you have no idea what the end result is supposed to look like. You have no idea what it's supposed to. You don't know how to redeem it, how to start it, how to get going again. It's true. When it comes to the, the puzzle pieces that maybe you feel like are your life, you're like, I, I can't, I, I don't get to restart. I don't get to go back and make my kids younger and start all over again. No, no, you don't. Sometimes we'd like to. Sometimes we think that they are, but we can't. Time has moved on. You're right. But you know what you can do? You can start today. You can start today rebuilding the picture. You can start today rebuilding your marriage. You can start today rebuilding what it looks like to be a student who loves God, who is pure and holy and upright. You can start that today. You can start that today. And like any puzzle, if it seems too big and too messy and you don't know where to go with it, the best thing to do when you're putting together a puzzle, whether you know what it looks like or not, is start with the corners. Just find the four corners and start there. Start there. When it comes to the picture that God is wanting to produce in your life, start with the corners. What do you mean, pastor, start with the corners? Four, four corners. Number one, have high standards. Set high standards. Four corners, high standards. Don't relent on the things that God has called you to do. Don't, don't back down from the truth of what God, don't back down from the standards that God wants you to uphold. Have high standards. But on the other corner, you know what you need? You need high warmth. High warmth. For many in my generation, we grew up with a lot of warmth and not a lot of standards. So everybody felt like they deserved to be a winner. Everybody was loved and nurtured, but never disciplined. We need high warmth. And we need high standards. If you have high standards without high warmth, you create rebellion. Why? Because relationship, excuse me, rules without relationship always produce a harvest of rebellion in somebody's life. If your children are rebelling against you, it's likely because you have a lot of high standards and not a lot of high warmth. It's possible. It's not the only reason. People make their choices. It's true. High standards high warmth, top corner pieces. But the foundation corner pieces have heavenly priorities. Set some heavenly priorities. I'm gonna be at church. I'm gonna give. I'm gonna serve. Some of you, it's time for you to step up and start serving the next generation. Maybe it's time to start serving in the early childhood room, leading a small group with an elementary student, getting involved in the high school group, whatever, I don't know. Some of you can take that next step, start serving somewhere. Maybe it's just serving in general. Heavenly priorities. Every morning you're gonna meet with God. Every night you're gonna pray around the dinner table with your family. And not just for the food, but for them. Like I'm gonna, I'm gonna start having some heavenly priorities. You need that corner piece. Start with the corner pieces. High prior, high, high standards, high level of warmth of God's love and his mercy. Heavenly priorities in your own life. But don't miss this last corner piece. Humility. Humility. Why do you need humility? 
because humility is the permission that God needs to give you grace. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble, scripture says. Friends, you can't be the picture God wants you to be without his grace, without his mercy and without his help. You can't be the student God wants you to be this year, young person, without his grace. And the one thing that gives God permission to pour his grace in your life is your humility, which means that sometimes you're gonna miss it, you're gonna blow it. Humility says, I'm gonna be quick to repent. When was the last time, mom, dad, you went to your kids and says, hey, I lost my temper. I was wrong. Would you forgive me? Hey, I I reacted in a way that wasn't an accurate picture of our Heavenly Father. Would you forgive me? What would it look like if you went to your adult kids and you said, hey, listen, kind of botched a lot. I I wasn't the mom or dad that I wanted to be. Would Would you just forgive me? Would you forgive me? I want to love you the way God loves you. Would you forgive me? What would it look like if we started living our lives with some humility? You want to know what would happen? We would see a new level of God's grace show up in our lives. And His grace isn't just forgiveness, friends. His grace is the very power in your life to produce change. Some of you trying to set standards for your kids' purity, but yet your own life isn't reflecting that. It's time to walk with humility. It's it's time to set some heavenly priorities. Get the right things in the right place, do in the right order. Because we want to be a picture of what it looks like to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. You're not going to be perfect, and God's not looking for you to be the perfect picture of a family. He just wants you to keep being a picture of Him of his love, of his mercy and humility allows us to pick ourselves up when we stumble, to dust it off and say, we're gonna keep moving towards God. We're gonna keep moving towards him. You're gonna miss it. You're gonna blow it. Young person, you're gonna have bad days. You're gonna do the wrong thing. You're gonna make wrong choices. But having a corner piece of your life that says, I'm gonna be humble, says, I'm gonna go to God and let him give me the grace that I need to move forward. I'm not gonna hide it. I'm not gonna stay stuck. I'm not gonna pretend like it didn't happen. No, I'm gonna have humility in this because I have a heavenly priority and I have high standards and I have a God who is full of love and rich in mercy and his warmth towards me is like a warm blanket on a cold night. A picture to the people around me of what it looks like. Maybe you don't have kids in your home, church family. You're still a picture. You're still a picture of what it looks like to love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. For those of you that have more gray hairs than me, can I just encourage us, encourage you? Those around us, will become the pattern that they see in us. We don't get to get angry at this generation because they're not doing it our way. Friends, God never called us to teach the next generation according to our ways. He called us to teach them according to His ways. And let's be a church body that no matter our age or stage, we're gonna reach up and down every aisle 
We're going to be the ones that when we see a child walk through the doors, we're going to get on their level, smile, tell them how much we love their shoes, how beautiful their hair bow looks, and how strong their muscles are. We're going to look them in the eyes and tell them that they're loved and that they can do it. We're going to look up and down the aisles and see the teenagers among us and tell them how awesome they look, how cool their phone case is, and how much we love that they're here today. We're going to be the kind of church that is a picture of a welcoming, loving family in pursuit of a God who loves us with everything that he has. That's what we're going to be. That's who we're going to be. That's how we neighbor the next generation. That's how we do it. If you're here and you're in this room and you are a middle schooler, high schooler, or, or a young elementary student hanging out inside here with us, would you stand to your feet? in this room, just all over. Come on, church, let's give them a hand as they stand. You're not gonna be by yourself alone. Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. You can do it, you can do it, you can do it. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Hey, stay standing, stay standing. Now I want every adult to stand right next to them. Come on, everybody on your feet, everybody on your feet. I believe that as parents, as leaders, as people uh, who are further down the road, we have the privilege and the honor of giving and conferring a blessing on the generations to come. And that's what we're gonna do today. If you're next to a young person, would you put a hand on their shoulder? Not a heavy one, but a nice, soft, gentle touch on their shoulder. We're gonna pray and commission these middle school and high schoolers, these students, to go be the hands and feet of Jesus this year. Can we do that? Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we speak life over them. We speak health over them. I thank you that you would guard their mind, guard their eyes, Guard their mouths, guard their hearts this year, Lord. I pray that every student who's getting ready to go back to school later this month, that they would go with a picture of what it looks like to love you with everything they have. God, I pray that they would go into their halls, go into their schoolrooms with confidence, with a holy, holy boldness to say, God, you are with me, you're not against me. They hold their head high. They're good students. They get the best grades of their life. They get the teachers that are going to bring the best out in them. They get to find friends that are going to point them to Jesus. And I think that they're going to grow in wisdom. They're going to grow in godly stature and character. And I pray, God, that these young people find favor everywhere they go, that your goodness is chasing after them and shows up in their life. And we as your family, God, we speak blessing over this generation in Jesus name and all God's people said amen